and let's just have a quick prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, once again, we ask you that you will open the word of God and reveal the truth that is contained in your word that, that will touch every part of our being, Lord Jesus, our hearts, our emotions, our minds, everything, Lord, and change us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I would like to continue. Last week, I, I preached on on uh, what it means uh, you know, be, becoming a life-giving minister or what it takes to, to become or we are called to become life-giving ministers. That's what church is. To equip people so when they go out there into the world they become ministers that give life. And uh, this morning my title will be The Hindrance of Becoming That Life-Giving Ministry. And I would like to read from uh, John chapter 9. And let's do it together. Not, not verbally, but follow the scripture together. I can't, you know, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So this is, I would like, in a way I, I like to sort of encourage you and I to have the discipline of just read the whole narrative as it is written. And then we, we will unpack that. Okay, John chapter 9, I'm going to begin from verse 1. This is Jesus. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. He, his disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it, it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Now is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who have formerly seen him being begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were you, your eyes open? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it in my eyes. He told me to go to, to wash in Siloam. So I went and washed, and then I could see. <laughs> it's very simple. When you give a testimony, just give it as simple as you can. <laughs> I go, I wash, and now I see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought him to the Pharisees, and uh, in this, this man who had been blind. Now the, the day which, on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the, the, the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had opened the, the, uh, the man's eyes, uh, how he has received his sight. And the guy said, he put my, you know, same story. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, now I see. <laughs> and some of the Pharisees said, 
this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others ask, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about, about him? It was your eyes he opened. And then the man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe him and that, that he had been blind and has received his sight until they sent him uh, for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We, now, we know he is our son, the parents said. We know he was bl born blind, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, for he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid that the Jew, uh, of the Jewish leaders who already, now I want you to actually keep note of that, but really pay attention to this. The Jewish leaders because, or Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah, will be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Now listen to this. They start to use spiritual language. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. And then he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, now I see. <laughs> then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> then they hurled insult. Now, it's, it starts to intensify. Now. It's intensifying. They start... Then they heard insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. <laughs> we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered in verse 30. Now that is incredible. <laughs> You don't know where he comes from? Yeah, he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. 
and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him by this time, they became a bit touchy, who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? <laughs> Jesus said, this is an amazing statement. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. It's a crazy story. So here's the thing. In this story, it's a, it's a simple story, but there's a lot of things going on in this story that I would like to highlight. Because my title is about being a life-giving minister to people. So Jesus, obviously, he's the life. He's the light. He was giving life to people. But surrounding that event, all these religious things are going on. So here's the thing. The so symptoms of this religious, religious spirit. Last week, I said, remember, religious spirit love the Lord. They love to argue. They love to talk theological things at the expense of people's well-being. I know last week I touched a bit on, on the whole thing of abortion. Now, my point was this. The Christians, I watched the TV in, in America, they were so dogmatic about, about this whole thing because it's about the law, it's about our doctrine. I'm not pro-abortion, okay? I'm pro-life. However, you can't make a law out of that because all these people, they, were, they said, no, you can't, you know. But sometimes, like, like I highlighted how the law, the, the, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So often for me, the point I make, the problem with the law is it is subject to men's interpretation and men's manipulation. So you make this law and then somebody will come and, and try to reinterpret the law and we create another law to protect that law and then you create another law to protect that law that protected the other law. You know, like, where do you stop? So our job, like, the, the, the point I was trying to make, Jesus said, no, no, I come that you may have life because the law doesn't give life. And we as Christians, sometimes we are so protected of, protective of our theology, our belief system, and we forget that there are people involved in it. For example, the issue of abortion. What if that person, like I said, was a, a victim of a rape? And uh, so the pro-choice would say, no, it's your choice. You can decide whatever you do with that. With that. But the Christians, like from the biblical point of view, hey, hey, you can't just choose. There's another life. You can't choose whatever you want at the expense of the other life. All right? But so the Christians would create a law. Okay, that's it, like in Alabama. Anybody, any doctor performs abortion will be jailed for 90 years or something like that. It came up. And I thought, what happened, Lord, in this? We, we, love to, we love our system and love to do all these things and we forget the people. It's not that simple. So when people go through things whether you know, and, and seemingly against what the Bible says, what we need to do is to 
actually get to know them. What happened? What can I do? You're going to make a decision that is really crazy, but uh, I want you to know Jesus loves you. Whatever the situation is, let me pray. I'll tell you what. This is like in 1990, the first year of, of our church. After the church service, I got invited by a friend for a birthday party. I was in the process of fasting for 40 days, like, you know, just water and, and juice, you know, V8 juice. I had that just for 40 days, that's all I had. So this is my first week. We went to the birthday party. They were cooking barbecue. I was, like, struggling with my, my you know, like, uh, the smell of the lamb chops, you know, everything. Like, I was hungry. And then the, the, the man of the, uh, the, the birthday man came and said, Brother, I need you to pray for a friend of mine. He's not, she's not a Christian. She's pregnant. And, but they just discovered she's eight months pregnant. They discovered that she's got a tumor in her kidney. And it has to be, it has to be taken out. So this is a delicate operation. Okay, in this situation, the pro-life would say, abort the baby, her life is more important. The Christians say, no, you can't do that. Maybe they get legalistic because the Bible says you need to lay down your life for the other life, you know, like. The, there's no simple answer. So what did I do? What did I say to the guy? I said, bring her here, I'll pray for her. So anyway, we went to her to the study. She's not a Christian. Do I really care? I don't, because I want to see Jesus touch her. Yeah. Really? All the theological stuff, what is that? So I said to her, you know, the time was there, and I said, listen, the Bible says there's nothing impossible for God. Not only that, the Bible says there's nothing impossible for those who believe. So I said to her, my part and your part is not, let's just believe God. He's going to do the rest. Our responsibility is in the believing. I didn't go there and say, okay, you're in this situation, and let's see what the Christian believes. No, 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 no. Let's just pray for her. I prayed for her. I didn't feel anything, you know, anything supernatural. Just prayed, Father, in the name of Jesus. Blah, 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 blah. And I prayed, and I left. I think a few days later, I forgot about it. And, uh, and I remember the, 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 the situation. I rang the birthday man. I said, what happened to that girl? And he said, yeah, they went to, to the hospital and then they, they actually did the operation. As they opened her up, they couldn't find the tumor. They couldn't find the tumor. You know, sometimes we just, we, 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 God wants to go beyond our theological argument. Now, it happens right here. Right here is a big, it's a clear picture. They walk, and then this man, born blind, guess what? Instead of, man, you born blind, is there anything we can do for you? They start to ask Jesus, was that his sin or his parents' sin? Like, I can imagine Jesus like, are you kidding me? <laughs> the guy is blind, born blind. Did he sin or did his parents sin? I can imagine Jesus said, you got to be kidding me, right? He's blind. 
One touch of Jesus. And he spat into a man and made clay, whatever, and cleansed the God. Now I can imagine we Christians, we love our sisters, don't you? You do that. I can imagine Christians, look at that and thought, let's create a mouth spitting, making, healing sort of ministry. <laughs> because that's how people are going to get healed. So Jesus, I want you to read this thing, right? In verse 3. When they asked Jesus, did this man sin or did his parents sin? Jesus said, neither. Okay, verse 3. Let's, let's read it. Let's, let's read, uh, read verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sin. Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Now, you can interpret that thing. You can say, okay, God caused to be born blind, so God will show his glory. But actually, as I did my research and do, uh, t uh, looking into the Greek text, you know, the Bible, originally, there's no verse, chapter, you know, it's all, it's a letter, right? It's a, it's a letter. So as I study the, the, the Greek text, the punctuation actually makes a big difference in the Greek text than the English text. And listen to this, if we read from the Greek text, okay? Verse 3 and 4. Jesus replied, neither this man sinned nor his parents but so that the works of God may be revealed in him, it is necessary for us to work the works of him who sent me. Can you hear the difference there? The first one in English, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that, actually the, the, the statement this happened is not in the Greek text. It's not there. For some reason, the... Uh, the English translator NIV in this case, you know, made it, they, they interpret, that's what Jesus said. But the Greek text said, neither he, this man or his parents sinned, but so in, or in order that the works of God may be revealed in him, it is necessary for us to do the works of him who sent me. While it is day, we need to do it now. So the, the point what Jesus is saying is this, Forget who sin or whatever. We need to prioritize the work of God to be revealed in this man's situation. That's what Jesus said. Of course, after saying, so, you know, my conclusion in that is that Jesus was prioritizing giving life to a situation rather than discussing whose sin it is. So after, after uh, creating this massive miracle, the first testimony, okay? The first tes testimony comes from the bewildered neighbors. Verse 8. Isn't this the same man who used to sit in the or lock it up? Hang on. Something happened to this man. The best thing for you to talk about Jesus is the chance life in you. It's like people say, 
you're not the same person. What happened to you? You know? That's the, you can argue about anything, but when you see a changed life or a miracle happening, someone's heart, whether it's physical or something, a transformation in your life, people can argue with that. There's something happening in you. What happened? So his neighbors said, isn't this the same man who used to sit in bed? And how, were your, you know, how then were your eyes open? So he replied, the way he replied, I don't know, this man called Jesus. They called Jesus because he couldn't see when Jesus healed him. You know that. Somehow this, that, that man, you know, called, called Jesus. He told me to do this and I got healed. So in other words, until he went to the pool and washed his eyes, until that point, he didn't know who Jesus was. He only heard about Jesus. So I don't know, this man called Jesus. He healed, my, he, he healed me. Somehow I got healed. That's the first testimony witnessed by the neighbors. The second testimony is happening in the context of the angry religious leaders. <laughs> because they brought all these neighbors realizing there's a miracle. So they thought maybe we can take him to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees, the, these religious dudes. Maybe if we can take him to them and just, man, let's celebrate and see the glory of God. God just manifested. And you think they know the Bible. Pharisees are experts in the Bible. And you think they would celebrate. You think they would go, wow, glory to God. So, let's read. His neighbors, they came to, to uh, in verse 8. And um, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him. Oh, sorry, the, uh, verse 13. So, they brought the Pharisees to the man who had been, been uh, blind. And then they said, because, obviously because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees' response was this. In verse 15, they asked him, how, he, how the guy who has, had received uh, the, the, the healing, he said, okay, how did you receive, receive healing? And then he gave exactly the same testimony as before. He put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. And then, the different question between the Pharisees and the neighbors is that neighbors were cu curious about it. But the Pharisees, they were building a case against Jesus. In verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is, this man is not from God because he did not keep the Sabbath. And others ask, how can he perform such a sign? It's really interesting how Christians, I can see Christians, can be blinded by this kind of thing rather than celebrating the works of God in people's lives. We question sometimes people's motives, sometimes people, you know, people, when they get tasked by God, something happened radically. And they get excited, you know, like, forget the, the, the blindness of the people. But, you know, people, the men born blind, but somebody gets excited and they get exuberant. They're just jumping up and down and 
and all those things. And, and Christians, instead of saying, like, wow, God really touched you, we start to question people's motives. Okay, what are you doing? Looking for attention? You know, like, what the heck? Man has been transformed. God touched his life, you know? And you question about people's behavior. So we see the, the Pharisees, from just asking, it's not out of curiosity, they start to build a case against Jesus and they start to interrogate the man. In verse 17, all the way to 23. They ask him again and again about the testimony. Not only that they, they start to interrogate him, they start to bully the man in verse 24. When they said, give glory to God, tell us the truth. We know this man is a sinner. And here's the thing. When Jesus has touched your life, you're not intimidated by what happened to you. You celebrate. This man was not intimidated at all. Instead, in verse 25, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. <laughs> it's like, as if to say, what other truth is there that you want? I was blind, now I see. What other truth do you want? Not only that, in boldness, he said, I've told you already, and you do not listen to me. Why do you want to hear again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> and the bullying continued. Now in the form of insult. Then they hurled insult at him and said, you are this fellow disciple. Okay, here's the thing. The way they bully, they show spiritual superiority. I hate that kind of spirit in Christians. I want to say this. I know my Bible. Maybe, maybe I know enough because I was trained in that. Right? It doesn't make me spiritually superior to you. I need Jesus as much as you need Jesus. We're all in the same playing field. I'm no better than you, spiritually speaking. I'm serious. I need Jesus as much as you do. It really is that simple. So, here's the thing. Every time you talk to anyone who shows some sort of spiritual superiority, you back off from that person. I mean it. Just back off. Because they think about themselves more than about you. And the way that they, com they communicate to you. Now, I'm not saying if somebody comes to you and, and just in, in a, like, you know, within leadership, we hold people accountable. You know, like, I'm accountable to, to Calvin, Calvin is accountable to me. But it, it is based on relationship. But without that relationship, I can't really hold you accountable. You know, come on. There has to be a trust in that. So when people start to talk to you in that manner, when you sense there's a spiritual sort of superiority, just back off. We call it super spiritual.
So they start to, <laughs> they start to uh, talk to him about, you know, we are in, in this spiritual superiority, there's a self-validation here. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but to this fellow, we don't know where he comes from. So listen to, 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 to the blind man. The former blind beggar started to engage in a theological discussion of all people. It's the Pharisees he he's doing it with. <laughs> the Pharisees who claim to know the scripture. And he started by saying, now that's remarkable. Oh, wow, that's amazing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the, God he listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I think the, this guy had more sense than the Bible theologians at that time. So what, how did they respond? Here's the thing. One thing to face the boldness of a man being interrogated, another to receive a theological lecture from an unlearned Formerly blind beggar. <laughs> so they assert their spiritual superiority. Not only that, they start to abuse their position of authority by cutting him off from the community. They throw him out, implying throw him out of the community. That's crazy. It's not just in the Bible. I've seen it. In the church, I have seen it. Christians do that. You gotta understand, at that point, Jesus has performed so many signs and wonders that people ask, people even ask questions. And in John chapter 7, verse 3, which is, which is previous to that, where people say, When the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? Like, in other words, people are not stupid. Now, here's the thing. I believe, that's why the Bible is very simple. Love God, love people. The super spiritual, love God, don't care about people. The humanistic, the humanistic approach is they love people, they forget about God. Now, you have to keep the balance. You love people as a reflection of your love towards God. That's it. I don't care you say how much you say you love God, but if you don't care about people, I question your love. I mean it. And the way you talk to people, putting down people. I'm talking about not, not, not big crime. I'm talking about putting down people and showing no respect to people. I question your love for people, for God. The, the Pharisees, who are supposed to be the expert of the Bible, if they know they are so blinded. Now, you got to understand, to be a Pharisee, some of these guys could recite the whole book of Jeremiah, the whole book of Isaiah. That's how, how amazing they are. Now, to have that skill and yet don't realize that in Isaiah chapter 18, verse 29, it prophesied about 
Jesus, in that day, the deaf will hear the words of the, uh, hear the words of the scroll out of, out of the gloom and darkness, and the eyes of the blind will see. It's all there about Jesus. Isaiah 35, verse 5. They should know, because that's their, their book. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf, the deaf, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Isaiah 42, verse 7. The task of this, this Messiah, this man, is to open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. They claim to know the scripture, but because they've got an agenda. Got, they've got an agenda. That, you know, you know what, what, what my, my thing is, that I want to say, the problem, okay, let me say this, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus. Religion blinds people. It does. And the, more, the moment we are blinded, the moment we act, become religious, we, are, we start to put our trust in, in the system rather than in what God is doing in our hearts and in people's hearts. See, I've got things that I pray for people that I know I can't change their lives, but I trust that the Holy Spirit can. But when I pray for you, I trust the Holy Spirit can change you. I can't do that. Now, I can put certain criteria, okay, how you are to behave you know, with other people here because we are a community, there's a certain core values. But as far as changing you, I can't do that. Only God can do that. The moment I try to step over that line and, and like, you know, really just enforce what my, my core values and, and I'll control you, that's what cult is. Because they're not trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to change people. So they have to help God in a way to do that. You know the book of Psalms said, encourage us to come and see and taste that the Lord is good. You know? Come and see and taste that the Lord is good. Now, let, let me give you an illustration. I'm, I was born in Indonesia. Say imagine, as an Indonesian, first day or first week in Australia, and then Diane, Diane takes me to, to a, a, an Italian restaurant, and then I go to an Italian restaurant, and they said, spaghetti. Well, I've never seen spaghetti before. All I knew was noodles, dim sims, you know, whatever. <laughs> So they gave me noodles. And uh, the chef came and started to explain about this, or not noodles, spaghetti. This is spaghetti bolognese cooked with this, and then this cheddar uh, cheese and whatever, you know, like. And he started to explain everything. And my, my first time when I saw the, 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 the spaghetti, say, never seen it before, I thought, that's the strangest looking noodles I've ever seen. You know, <laughs> that would be my reaction. So he started to explain, you know, and we put this wine, and then the wine was from Bordeaux, and you know, like, and from France. And you know what? Go ahead, my, what going, what's going on in my head? Can I just eat this freaking whatever food? <laughs> like, I'm hungry now. I want to eat. <laughs> I don't need explanation. So guess what? 
I will eat that spaghetti. And wow, that was nice. Then what would I do? What's in it? You know what I mean? Like, then I will ask questions. What's in that thing? It's so nice. Then everything, everything you say after that, doesn't matter what you say, I will believe you. As a matter of fact, oh, it's this cheese. What kind of cheese? What does cheese look like? I would go all the way. But let me just taste that food. Here's the thing. Forget all this stuff. Let them taste that the Lord is good. That's why in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, I think in verse 3, when he said, after describing the, to the believers who they are, what they are, the price that Jesus paid for them, he said, hunger, therefore, or crave for the spiritual milk now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. In other, in other words, after you've tasted that the Lord is good, now I can, I can say, now, do you like that food? Do you like the spaghetti? Do you want some more? You know? That's how we do it. You know, this morning, I think some of you that just tasted the tangible presence of God. Maybe just a little bit. I think. I believe. You felt something. Did you like that? Did you like the, the, presence, the sense of the presence of God? Imagine if you say, this is how we do worship. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're gonna do that. No, no, no. We just go for it. And God turned up. And wow. That was great. Some of you got amazing words. So guess what? Do you want some more? <laughs> Let's stand up.